This week on the Electronic Intifada podcast, an important victory for civil rights as Palestinian-American Mohammed Salah is removed from the U.S. Treasury Department's so-called terrorist list after a lawsuit challenge. Also, following Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas's renunciation of refugees' rights, Palestinians take to the streets and are beaten and attacked by Abbas supporters. We'll feature excerpts of several responses to Abbas's declaration from our correspondents. How Israel's movement restrictions on Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza separate spouses and families. And news from the global boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, including an interview with Mohamed Desai of BDS South Africa about the current boycott campaigns and solidarity initiatives between South Africans and Palestinians and more. We're in fact very grateful to be given the opportunity to be part of the Palestine Solidarity uh, Movement, the International Palestine Solidarity Movement, because as I said, it really allows us to relive our history in this struggle. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, Associate Editor for the Electronic Intifada in Berkeley. And now these top stories. The Electronic Intifada reported this week that after 17 years of being designated as a so-called terrorist and placed on the U.S. Department of Treasury's list of, quote, designated terrorists, Palestinian-American Mohammed Salah has been removed from the list after several legal advocacy and civil rights organizations filed a lawsuit against the government. The lawsuit, filed in September by the Center for Constitutional Rights, the People's Law Office, the American Friends Service Committee, and the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, challenged the designation made by the Clinton administration 17 years ago as unconstitutional. The Electronic Intifada reported that, quote, The designation was made by executive order with no legal process, no limitation in time, and no process to challenge it. Salah was the only U.S. citizen residing in the U.S. ever to be subjected to such a designation. In September, the Electronic Intifada's Maureen Murphy commented that, quote, the executive order designating Salah, a specifically designated terrorist signed by then-President Bill Clinton, was, quote, designed to target groups and individuals considered to be interfering with the Middle East peace process. At the time that the executive order was issued, the United States was continuing to broker agreements between Israel and the Palestine Liberation Organization, a series of agreements known in shorthand as the Oslo Accords. The Center for Constitutional Rights stated in a press release at the time of the lawsuit that, quote, Salah was incarcerated in an Israeli military prison and charged by an Israeli military court with providing support to Hamas in the early 1990s. At the time, no law barred Americans from supporting Hamas. Following 55 days of intense interrogation, including sleep deprivation and physical brutality, Salah pled guilty to the charge and entered into a plea agreement. He was released in 1997 and returned to his home in the United States. The Center for Constitutional Rights added that Salah was, quote, not permitted to get a job, pay rent or a mortgage, pay for his children's education, obtain medical care, or even buy a loaf of bread without first obtaining approval from the Treasury Department. This week, the Electronic Intifada reported, quote, the government's decision to remove Salah from the list before the case came to court may indicate that it judged it would lose a case and thus have its power limited. 
Salah had previously been tried and acquitted on terrorism-related charges, but served a 22-month sentence for a conviction for giving a false answer in a questionnaire that was part of a lawsuit backed by Zionist groups. For much more on this story, visit electronicintifada.net. Last week, Palestinian Authority leader Mahmoud Abbas declared in a television interview on Israel's Channel 2 that he does not intend nor does he have the right to return to the village of Safed, from which he and his family were forcibly displaced, and that if anything, he would visit only as a tourist. Abbas then ostensibly redefined Palestine to include only the occupied West Bank and Gaza Strip when he said, quote, Palestine for me is the 1967 borders with East Jerusalem as the capital. This is Palestine. I am a refugee. I live in Ramallah. The West Bank and Gaza is Palestine. Everything else is Israel, end quote. Ali Abunima commented on the Electronic Intifada on November 4th that, quote, in a clarification on the Egyptian TV channel Al Hayat, Abbas resorted to his usual tactic of blaming the media for somehow distorting words that everyone could hear come out of his mouth, and claimed his words had been misinterpreted and that he was speaking only personally and not representing policy. But he is lying. Abbas's words demonstrably represent long-standing Palestinian authority and PLO policy of giving up refugee rights, Abunima wrote. Abunima added that one of the most important revelations of the Palestine Papers, the internal records of the Palestinian Authority and the PLO peace process, which were made public nearly two years ago, is that, quote, Abbas's negotiators had essentially already given up the right of return in U.S.-sponsored negotiations with Israel. Following Abbas's statements, Palestinians took to the streets in Jerusalem in protest of his renunciation of the right of return for the millions of Palestinian refugees across Palestine, in Lebanon, Jordan, and Syria, and around the world. The Electronic Intifada's correspondent Boudour Hassan reported from Jerusalem that on November 5th, a march in the Old City was marred by attacks on protesters by pro-Abbas thugs. Hassan reported, quote, Damascus Gate has seen some of the most vicious attacks by Israeli occupation forces against Palestinian demonstrators this year, but this time around it was Palestinians who attacked fellow Palestinians and harassed them as surrounding Israeli soldiers gleefully watched the spectacle. She added in her report that in Hebron, activists reported that Palestinian Authority forces brutally assaulted Palestinians during a protest against Abbas, and at least two demonstrators were reportedly arrested. Hassan added, quote, The attack on protesters critical of Mahmoud Abbas and his renunciation of the right of return demonstrates once again that the Palestinian Authority is a major obstacle towards liberation and equal rights. Abbas's statements were by no means a revelation. Additionally, our correspondent and blogger Shahid Abu Salama in Gaza blogged this week about her response to Abbas's forfeiture of the right of return. You can read her powerful commentary and much more on this issue at electronicintifada.net. IRIN, the UN Humanitarian News and Information Service, reported this week on the stories of Palestinians who have been forcibly separated from their families, including small children by the Israeli government's tightening restrictions on freedom of movement between the West Bank and Gaza Strip. Iron reported that in February 2011, quote, Israel agreed to allow 5,000 Palestinians to change their address from Gaza to the West Bank. Many were West Bank residents who lived under constant fear of arrest and forced transfer. Some had already been sent to Gaza. 
The gesture was brokered by Tony Blair, the former British prime minister who now works as a special representative for the so-called Middle East Quartet. A year and a half later, the gesture has only been partially implemented. According to the human rights organization Gisha, thousands of applicants are still waiting for an answer. Others were initially told that their address could be changed only to have the Israeli army rescind the decision. And some have new ID documents but are unable to get permission to travel to the address where they are now registered. For much more on this issue, including the story of a mother who was forcibly transferred to Gaza even though her home and young children are in the West Bank, visit electronicintifada.net. And now we go to news from the global boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. The Electronic Intifada reported this week that protesters in Oslo blockaded the entrance to the offices of multinational security company G4S and demanded that the company stop all activities that contribute to the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza Strip. The blockade adds weight to a petition signed by 21 Norwegian organizations that was presented to G4S management last week, which stated that the company, quote, must immediately withdraw from all activities on occupied Palestinian land and halt all deliveries to Israeli prisons in which Palestinian prisoners are imprisoned in violation of the Geneva Conventions. G4S is heavily involved in providing equipment and services to Israel's wall in the West Bank, in Israeli prison systems, and inside illegal Israeli settlements in the occupied West Bank. Meanwhile, the Electronic Intifada reported on Thursday that activists in North London have launched an intensive protest campaign to keep French multinational Veolia at bay. Veolia is an urban systems and transportation contractor and has been involved in the Jerusalem Light Rail Project, which aims to connect West Jerusalem with illegal settlements in East Jerusalem and elsewhere in the West Bank. Following intensified pressure on local city councils by boycott activists, Veolia has lost billions of dollars worth of contracts in the UK and elsewhere in Europe and in Australia. For much more news from the Global Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Movement, visit our activism and BDS blog at electronicintifada.net. Last week, the Electronic Intifada reported that activists in South Africa welcomed a decision by the African National Congress to support the growing BDS campaign. Preceding the ANC's announcement, more than 150 international anti-apartheid activists from 19 countries called on the ANC to support the Palestinian-led BDS movement. Joining us to talk about the current campaigns in South Africa is Mohamed Desai, an activist and organizer with BDS South Africa. He joins us from Johannesburg. Mohamed, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks for having me. So if you could talk about the significance of the ANC's support of the Palestinian-led BDS movement and, and maybe talk about the work by activists in South Africa that has gotten the ANC to this position. Uh, Nora, in many ways, being South African puts one in a very um, privileged but also difficult position. Um, South Africans carry this moral weight uh, which at times is a privilege, but it's also a sense of um, of responsibility, a responsibility that we carry with a lot of pride, but yet at the same time, it's a responsibility. And it's a responsibility because we were the recipients. We were the recipients of international solidarity on a scale that has never been seen before. Um, we were the recipient of people mobilizing in the streets of the world in their hundreds uh, of thousands, if not in their uh, millions. And it is this 
international solidarity that we are beginning to appreciate even more as we are partaking in Palestine solidarity work. And I think that this shift within the ANC to become even more vocal on, uh, on the issue of Palestine is really a reliving of the ANC's own experience um, in the 1980s when it uh, relied on uh, international uh, solidarity. And so in some ways, we're in fact very grateful to be, gi- to be given the opportunity to be part of the Palestine Solidarity uh, Movement, the International Palestine Solidarity Movement, because as I said, it really allows us to relive our history um, in, this, uh, in this struggle. It allows us to remember our, our, own, our own heroes, uh, such as uh, Oliver Tambo or Archbishop Desmond Tutu, but we remember them in a very practical way. Uh, we remember them in in a very uh, strategic way. What would Oliver Tambo have done in this situation? How would Archbishop Desmond Tutu have responded to the situation? And so this sense of internationalism is something that is uh, taking a solid uh, grasp um, within the ANC. Uh, we've seen a sense of internationalism being revived within this um, within this movement um, that. At t- that previously um, had a very uh, strong sense of internationalism, but it may have uh, decreased uh, since the ANC came into power. But uh, Palestinian solidarity is allowing um, members of the ANC, but also South Africans more generally, uh, to deal with that internationalism. That's the voice of Mohammed Desai from BDS South Africa in Johannesburg. Can you talk about the growth of the BDS movement specifically in South Africa and and talk about maybe some of the current campaigns that BDS South Africa as an organization has taken on and the successes that you've enjoyed so far? Well, uh, embarrassingly so, uh, we're actually learning from the international community. Um, There was a lot of rhetoric uh, from South Africa in the past about uh, solidarity with the Palestinian people and about championing the boycott, but we're really taking our lead from people that have already uh, set the ground overseas. Uh, so there are there are a few strategic campaigns that we have. So, for example, uh, the campaign against Ahaba, which is an international campaign. The campaign against uh, Soda Stream, which again is an international campaign. And the reason why I raise this is because we also gain a lot of strength knowing that there are people in other countries that are involved in a similar campaign activity. But other than the strategic campaigns in which we are, um, in which we are trying to, in which we are trying to um, achieve a victory in, a, in the shortest amount of time, there are also larger, uh, broader um, campaigns, more long-term campaigns that we are running. Um, because really, in order, uh, this uh, boycott, divestment, and sanctions, uh, but also Palestine's solidarity, must live beyond those few individuals. It must live beyond the, um, the main organizers. And the only way that we're going to make sure that it lives beyond the one or two people is to create a mass movement, a mass movement that will keep uh, Palestine solidarity safe uh, in this country uh, beyond just uh, the spokespeople or the, or the chief uh, coordinators, uh, etc. So those are the two sorts of campaigns uh, that we are engaged in. 
but also something new that has come up in South Africa, and that is a group of progressive Jewish people that have um, that have come out public in support of the Palestinian struggle, but also um, but also specifically in support of uh, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions campaign. And why it's unique for South Africa is because the Jewish community in South Africa for the most part, um, is very supportive of, uh, of Israel. And so for, these, for, this, uh, for this small group of, um, of, of Jewish people uh, to break out of that, it is actually uh, creating a lot of, um, a lot of good um, shockwaves uh, in the country where the, where the Israeli lobby cannot um, continuously frame uh, this issue as a, um, as a religious issue. Uh, they can't continuously uh, frame this issue as one that is attacking uh, Jewish people. Mohammed, uh, talk about how people can get more information about the work that BDS South Africa is doing and how they can get in touch. Um, we're urging people to join us on uh, Facebook and on Twitter, uh, both um, at face- on Facebook and at Twitter. We're using the handle uh, BDS South Africa, and also we're asking people to, to visit us on our, web- on our website, which is uh, www.bdssouthafrica.com. Okay, Mohamed Desai of BDS South Africa. Again, that's bdssouthafrica.com. Mohamed, thank you so much for all you do and uh, for being with us today on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks so much, Nora. And that's it for our weekly Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features, and reviews, pointed opinion and analysis, and action alerts by our team of correspondents and bloggers, visit us online at electronicintifada.net. This week, be sure to check out Philip Bato's op-ed on Israel's responsibility for violent attacks by settler extremists, plus our new book, film, and performance reviews, featured videos including a new track by Palestinian hip-hop group Dam that targets violence against women. Lena Al-Safin asks, did Abbas abuse his powers in restricting elections to the West Bank? Also, our exquisitely curated Month in Pictures feature and much more. At electronicintifada.net, you can also post comments and sign up for our daily newsletter. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and a special thanks to Flashpoints and KPFA in Berkeley. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.